I was born into a Christian family. You guys probably know this. If you've been around here for a little bit, my dad is a pastor. And, uh, and so I grew up going to church every weekend, every Wednesday. I went to the church after school because that's their office. I was uh, pretty much like my life was the church and always has been the church. And so as I grew up, um, I always considered myself a Christian, always, you know, did that whole thing. And, and then as I got older, um, especially in high school, I found myself getting into trouble like lots of high school students do. And, uh, and I started to, at about 17, we did this thing called a church merger in which Seal Beach, which was, uh, uh, was it started down in Seal Beach, merged with this campus here. And when that happened, uh, my community of faith, like my youth group and all that kind of stuff, it disappeared because these two came together and then it was nothing. And then, so I stopped going to church around 17. Now my dad's a pastor, so I couldn't officially stop going to church. And so I would still show up here at the end of his messages so he could see me, I could wave, and then I could peace out as if I had been here uh, the whole time. And so for years I did that. And, um, and I think I always knew that I was supposed to do ministry, but there was this desire in me for something else, and I didn't know what that desire was, and, and I thought the desire was girls, and that was it for a while, and so I pursued that, and then um, as I graduated from high school, I realized, Cody, you got to get your act together. You can't do this anymore. You can't hang out with these people. You need to just make a clean break. And so what I did was, when I graduated high school, it was a very strange thing, is um, I had grown up with people since kindergarten all the way through my senior year. And then the day that I graduated, I st- and this is probably not the healthiest thing to do, but I, I stopped talking to every person that I knew. That was it. I just said, I'm going to make a clean break. I'm done. And I stopped talking to everyone that I grew up with, everyone that I knew. I had one friend when I graduated high school, after that, that I graduated with, that I stayed in contact with. Everyone else, I totally disconnected with because I thought, if I'm going to do this, I just got to be 100%. Like, I need to figure my life out. So that summer, um, I was preparing to go to college in which I had uh, decided I was going to go to Biola University because that's where Jesus goes. And so I went to Biola um, got in there and, to be honest, was totally freaked out by the Christian culture. I had never been surrounded by the Christian culture. I was never in a Christian bubble, always had been to public school, had very few Christian friends growing up. I think I was the only virgin that graduated that I knew, like, it was, uh, it, it was a whole different world. And then I was surrounded by all these homeschool kids and all these uh, Christian school kids, and they were very nice, but totally different view of the world than I had had. And so I started to get kind of like, angry. I just, what is this? This is not even reality. What is wrong with you people? And I kind of started to get bitter about the whole thing. Second semester of my first year, I'm still kind of angry, still trying to figure this whole thing out. And I I think one of the more transformative moments in my life happened in which um, I got a phone call from one of my friends and they said, hey, have you heard about Autumn? And Autumn was one of my best friends throughout high school. We went to senior prom together. We had, uh, we had always um, hung out. She lived on my street. We, we spent, I took her to school every day. We just hung out all the time. And, um, and what had happened was she uh, continued to go down a path in which I probably would have gone down if I hadn't made that break. And she continued to party and she continued to live a, a lifestyle um, that was pretty destructive and unhealthy and dating people she shouldn't have been and things like that. And so one night when she was on her way home from a party, her and her boyfriend, they were both drunk. They spun out in the freeway. She was ejected and she got killed. And when I, uh, when I heard that, she was only, I think, 16, 17. She was still in high school. When I heard about that happening, um, it was one of those moments in which things became really real. You know, there's times in your life when you realize, especially as you get older, that um, life is 
kind of short, and I know that sounds kind of silly to say it because it's uh, so many people have said it, and and it seems, sounds kind of passe, passe but it, it is true. You realize, wow, we're fragile. Like, this could be gone in a moment's time. And I hadn't realized that up until that point, I had some really deep insecurities about myself and especially about my faith and, and some fears. And, and I'd always struggled with uh, what I thought was just worrying. And in that moment, I realized I'm a little bit more than worried. And so if you rewind a little bit, um, this worry started to happen when I was in fifth grade, and I was so worried and so anxious that it would make my stomach hurt. And it all happened with this one event in which, um, and this is, this is crazy, is I went to church camp with a friend of mine. We got back to church. Her parents were supposed to pick her up, or her mom was supposed to pick her up, and, and, and she had had a really rough time because just the month before, her father had died of a heart attack, just super traumatic. And so she's just trying to recover, and she's trying to figure it out, and so we're waiting for her mom to come pick her up, and her mom doesn't come, and so we think that's weird, so we take her to one of the other kids' houses, and then when I get a phone call a couple hours later that her mom, on the way to pick up, had died in a car accident. Both parents, within four weeks, died of totally unrelated, uh, unrelated things. And so as a fifth grader, seeing that, and then seeing how fragile life was, and then already kind of struggling with this anxiety, I didn't, I didn't know it was anxiety, I just thought I'd worry a little bit, but this anxiety in the moment, that took me to this downward spiral, to uh, I almost didn't make it out of the fifth grade, because I got so ill, my stomach would hurt so much, and I'd be so afraid, and and I had a couple other events that happened that are kind of funny, but uh, I, I, I came very close to not being able to graduate the fifth grade. So as the years progress, and I'm still struggling with this anxiety thing, and then I get into college, and, and I experience this loss of a good friend, and I'm struggling with I, I start to realize I have a pretty big anxiety problem. And my dad, great guy, he just... He's kind of old school, though. He's like, you know what? We just need to pray through it. We need to pray through it. We need to work through it. You can overcome this, and you're strong. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to do this. Well, the moment, uh, or the, excuse me, the, uh, the, the day that we went to the funeral for Autumn, um, everyone was there that I had been avoiding since I had graduated from high school. And I thought, you know what? It was stupid of me to have run away from these people. I'm not saying I need to be in this community because it's clearly unhealthy. It's not something I need to be a part of. But... Um, I have an opportunity, is we're all thinking at the age of 18, 19, we're all thinking about death right now. I should probably tell them about the thing that is most important to me that I have not made a priority in which I had not been an example at all at that point. And so it happened to be the week in which the Passion of the Christ came out. And so I thought, all right, here's the deal. These guys are thinking about spiritual things. I don't know if we're supposed to do this, but we're going to go see this movie, and then I'm going to tell them about Jesus afterward. And so I did that. I was like, let's go see this movie. They see it. We're already an emotional wreck. We see this movie. I tell them about Jesus, and they're kind of just like, whoa. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's pretty intense. I said, look, I just, I, I, can't, I can't go back and talk to Autumn about this. Um, I have disconnected from every person that I know, and so I can't tell them about it, but at least you guys were here in this moment. This probably is never gonna happen again. I have to tell you the deal. And I don't know if it changed. I didn't have like some miraculous like where they just broke down and went, you're right, Jesus is real. They just kind of went, huh, interesting. And I realized it was really important for me to do. I hope it did something for them, but... And then uh, fast forward a little bit, I go back to school, um, still kind of angry, still kind of bitter, still struggling with some of this stuff. And then my junior year, the first week of my junior year, there is this young lady. She's 18 years old. She looks like she's 14, uh, which is kind of weird. And, uh, and she just is, is fascinated with me. 
I mean, it's ridiculous, you know? Like, she just thinks I'm so cute, and she just keeps like, oh, hey, we should hang out. And I'm like, girl, I don't know, you know? Like, I'm busy. And uh, so she keeps after me, you know? And she keeps just, just wearing me down. And I'm like, all right, Amy, well, go out, you know? Uh, she's not here to defend herself. Uh, she's not here. <laughs> Do you guys hear something? I didn't either. Okay. Um, <laughs> just a little buzzing, like I just whack. Uh, so we end up hanging out and I'm super apprehensive because I've had some mistakes in the past and, and had some bad relationships and been not a great person in those. And so I was, I, I said, this is my deal. As I said, I'm not going to date until I believe that I can marry whoever this person is that I go out with. So like, I'm super serious. I'm not, and I'm 19 at the time and I'm going, I will not date anyone until I am fairly confident that they could be the person that I marry, which is pretty high standards for like a first date, you know? <laughs> it's like, hey, just so you know, this is what I'm anticipating. <laughs> okay, you know, like, it's, okay. Uh, anyway, so, so we end up hanging out and, and we're, we're having a great time and about six months into our, us, our relationship, something um, clicks in my mind. And it's something that I, it shouldn't have been a big deal. It should have been like, oh, in an hour I got over it and it was nothing. And yet there was this thing and it happened to me throughout my life in which I thought of something um, that I didn't like that was fairly traumatic. And, um, and this wasn't even a huge deal, but I should have gone, oh, that sucks. And then gotten, been done with it. But it just kept cycling. It was almost like there was a motion picture playing of something that I didn't like, and it just played in my mind over and over and over and over. And it wasn't just for a day. It wasn't just for a week. It happened for months, every moment of the day for months until it drove me, uh, it drove me to being completely empty and numb. It was this, this, this image that I couldn't get out of my mind, and it was at the forefront. And so what ended up happening was I ended up um, and, and it was actually during a Christmas break, six weeks, so I didn't miss any school, but I ended up having like an emotional meltdown, and I couldn't figure out why. And my dad and, and my mom and everybody's going, God, what's the deal? And I remember this moment where I had this meltdown, and I'm sitting at the dinner table with my parents, and there is nothing there. I am a blank, like I'm just like a sheet of paper. I, I, there's nothing. There's nothing in my eyes. There's no emotion. I feel nothing. And I could see, I remember the look in my mom's eye where she just went, what is going on with my child? He's not there. Like, there's nothing there anymore. And so I ended up going to a doctor, and, and they kind of talking me through what's going on. They said, well, first thing you need to do is you need to sleep, because I hadn't been sleeping for a long time. Okay, so sleep, and then we're going to give you some medication, and then we're going to start figuring out what's going on. Oh, uh, fast forward, and I realized uh, through the doctor's help and through others is I was diagnosed with this thing called OCD. And OCD, you may have seen it on TV or something like that, and it's which like, oh, I always have to have things organized, or I always have to wash my hands, or I'm afraid of germs. And yeah, that's like one, that's one aspect of a, a type of OCD, but really it's kind of like this is um, your brain, if you think of it, has a transmission in which you can shift from one thought to the next thought right? So you can be thinking about me speaking, and then you could be thinking about that TV right there, right? Okay, boom, you just did it. Congratulations, your transmission works. Well, part of what happens with an OCD person is they cannot um, shift to the next thought. 
there is a thought that is stuck at the forefront of their mind, and it's always a very negative and a very sensitive thought that they have, and it gets stuck there. And so if you thought about something that was really unpleasant, you can usually distract yourself or think about something else, but sometimes that will get stuck there, and no matter how hard you try, your transmission is broken, and it will not shift to the next thing. And so if you imagine one of your worst nightmares, you think about it, and it's occurring in your mind every moment for months at a time, it would drive you pretty crazy. And that's ultimately what had happened to me. And so through this whole process, I had lost like 40 pounds and, and I was just, a, I was a mess. And so I was really pretty broken at this point. And I went back to school and kind of had a new outlook on life. And I don't know why, but Amy stayed with me through this whole process. And she said, you know what? We're gonna figure this out together. And we'd only been together like six months at the time. I, I don't know why she would have like said, I, like she didn't say adios, you know? She's 18 years old. Who does, she doesn't owe me anything. And yet uh, we stick it out and we push through. And eventually I become um, what I, I think is much more healthy and I have much more awareness and, and um, I'm able to, to deal with it, but yet it's still something that I struggle with to this day. It's not something that just goes away. You take something, it's like, okay, great, I'm cured. No, 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 it's still something that I have to fight and I have to combat and I struggle with all the time. So you fast forward a little bit longer and um, I graduate from college and I'm, I'm uh, anticipating Amy graduating and we're gonna get married and all that kind of stuff and kind of the... The, uh, the game plan was she graduates, or, or excuse me, I graduate, I get established, we get married, then she graduates. So first month out of college, uh, I start to hear, no, no, I was at Mariner's Church, and then I came here, and I was the junior high pastor, and some of you guys, which is crazy, was, were uh, junior high students of mine, which makes me feel incredibly old. But uh, I start this job, but at the same time, because it's not a huge job, I start looking for other avenues for things to do, and an opportunity arises for me to do some business. And long story short, I end up getting connected with some business people, starting a business, and it just takes off, just unexpectedly. Millions of dollars every year is coming in, making more money than I know what to do with. I'm buying a house, I'm buying all this cars, I'm buying all of this stuff, and it's kind of this whirlwind. And, and through that process, it was about a five-year block, I started to go, you know what? I could just do this, you know? Forget this ministry thing. These kids are obnoxious. Why am I dealing with this, you know? Like, I could go, I could make money, I can be happy doing that, and then I can go off into the sunset and die one day with a bunch of, a bunch of stuff, right? That'll be, that's, that kind of sounds like the game plan. And of course, God had something else in mind for me because five years into it, I was praying, God, what do you want me to do? You know, like I, I like the money and I like making all this, buying all this stuff and, and being able to do what I want to do. And yet there's still this piece of me that feels very unfulfilled. Like this can't be it. This cannot be all that there is. And I remember the conversation. I was sitting at Lucille's by uh, the Cerritos Mall with my dad, and he looks at me, and I'm trying to decide, what do I do? You know, Dad, if I give this up, then how am I even going to survive? Like, pastors don't make that much. And, oh, you know, I'm just... and he says, Cody, here's the deal. He says, it's kind of like, um, kind of like a tightrope walk. You're never going to get to the other side unless you let go of one and start to walk over to the other. And it's gonna be scary in the process, but if you ever wanna to get to where you think you're supposed to go, you're gonna to have to let go and walk that walk. And it's gonna be, be scary for you for a little while. And I just thought, ah, oh, dang it, you're right. That's what I need to do. I, I need to do that. And so we were about to leave for a trip um, in a couple of days. And so I thought, all right, I'm gonna to talk to my business partner and I get back and we're gonna figure out you know, an exit plan and things like that. And, 
And I ended up having lunch with him the next day, and he looks at me, and we're talking business, and, and he goes, Cody, let me ask you a question. Are you in this thing for the long term? And I went, no, I'm not. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? You're not in this for the long term. I said, I'm done. I'm not supposed to do this. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to do ministry. I know I'm supposed to do ministry. He's like, oh, okay, whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm done today. <laughs> what? What do you mean you're done today? I'm like, yeah, this is it. And I went home and I told Amy, and she's kind of like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, are you an idiot? I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm, I am an idiot. This is a really bad decision. Uh, and man, it was hard for a while to get out, to, to lose. I lost, I lost not only income, I lost so much stuff. All the stuff kind of went out the door as we were uh, walking away from all of it. And I look back on that moment, and I kind of think about what was in the balance and I didn't know in, those, in that moment what was actually in the balance for me, and it was so much bigger than just finances that were in the balance, is if I had known what were lying ahead for my future, um, I, I would have made that decision a uh, hundred times over. And here's why. is because not just I feel like I was supposed to do this and so I needed to go and pursue this. It's because through the process of letting go of all of that stuff, and some of it honestly just being ripped out of my hands, as it was being ripped out of my hands, I had to start evaluating, what do I really love? What do I really care about? What is my, what is my central priority? What do I, and here's the question, what do I actually worship? And it became very clear to me that somewhere along the way, I had gone from wanting Jesus to wanting more money. And so Jesus went, well, this is going to be a little bit painful, but I'm going to take that away from you so that you make sure you keep me as the center of your life. And so all this stuff gets ripped away, and I, I had to walk away, and I lost relationships and all that. But I look back, and I go, the best thing that could have ever happened to me was that I walked away from it. Not only that I walked away from it, but that most of it was ripped out of my hands. So as we fast forward uh, even more now, um, we come to a place in which right after I stop the business, a bunch of students of mine, some of which are in here, come to me, and they go, hey, Cody, um, we're graduating high school. We're trying to figure out what's next. Can we like do a Bible study at your house? And I was like, no, absolutely not. You cannot come to my house. You know, like why would I want you there? Um, and they said, no, no, come on. Like it'll be great. Like we're just graduating and we don't really have a place to go. There's no college group at Seacoast. There's nothing like that. Um, so can we come to your house and, and do a Bible study? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Let me talk to Amy. And she, she says, and she's like, yeah, totally. We didn't have kids at the time. That's the only reason she said yes. Now it's like, no, no, you can take them with you. Uh, and so we end up having this Bible study. And um, about 30 or 40 people show up that were my former students and we're hanging out. And about six months into it, um, we end up going on a missions trip to Guatemala and then we come back and the Bible study grew a little bit. And what happened throughout the years is this movement started, one that I wanted nothing to do with, I didn't want to be a part of. It was solely driven by um, students and, and the community that was involved. And it became this like bigger and bigger thing until there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people that showed up every week to know about Jesus. And so here's the crazy thing is some of you guys are sitting in a seat right now and you came to know Jesus at this church, maybe even through this very ministry here, or you, you came to um, find your best friend or your girlfriend or boyfriend. And there are countless people whom that has happened to. And I think it is just the craziest thing that God can use all of these events and how much it has impacted so many people's lives and all I had to do was say yes. And even in the moments when I didn't say yes, God says, well, I'm doing it anyway. And so here's kind of the moral of the story, at least for me, and maybe it is for you, 
is you don't know what is hanging in the balance. You don't know what decisions you currently have to make right now. What, what um, kind of crossroads you may be at, you don't know what is hanging in the balance for your future. For me, there are so many different crossroads in my life that I could have gone one direction. It wasn't immoral. It wasn't bad. It wasn't wrong. I could have just gone a different direction. My life would have been totally different. I was trying to decide, where do I go to college? And I was like, ah, you know, I could go to this school and I could go to this school. And they're all great schools. And I think, I, and I just go, you know what, God, what do you want me to do? And he goes, I want you to go to this school. All right, if you want me to. Wow, that kind of changed my life. Not only did the, the education change, I met my, my wife, and now I have kids, and that changed the total di- uh, direction of my life. There's been other moments in which I'm like, oh, God, do you want me to do this, or do you want me to do this? And he goes, I want you to do this. And I would have never known that this simple decision I thought I was making could have such profound impact on my life and on other people's lives. And so one of the things that I, I want to encourage you with, and I'll close with this, is whatever crossroads you may be at right now, Whatever decisions you're trying to make, big or small, you don't know what hangs in the balance. And so do not try to be the one who is in control. Don't try to be the one who is constantly in control of your life and constantly trying to direct it and guide it and push it where you want it to go. Yes, we should aspire for great things. And yes, we should push forward, but we should always do it in light of what God is asking us to do. Because although you may believe that you have the correct answer and you know where you're supposed to go and you know what you're supposed to be, I can tell you 100%, I'm certain of it, is that God will surprise you along the way if you will allow him. And it will always be better than whatever you had planned. So let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for just the opportunity to come here together tonight. And um, even though there's hiccups along the road and there's chaos and and we pray for Matt and hope that he feels better, um, Lord God, we know that you are in control of all things. And as I think about my own story and I think about the places that I've been and the things that I've done and the decisions that I've made, um, I am always pleasantly surprised that when you guide me, it ends up in a place that is far better than I could have ever imagined. I may not see it initially. Oftentimes it's painful as I go through it. And yet as I look back, I would not have changed a thing. And so, Lord, there is a constant struggle in our hearts and in our minds to do your will. We're little kingdom builders in which we want to build our own kingdom, and we want to be in control, and we want to decide where we're going to go and when we're going to do. And, and yet, if we will stop and we will ask you, Lord, what is your will for my life? What do you want in this situation? What do you want for me? If we will simply ask and listen, you will guide. And it's a simple message, and it's something that's so hard to practice. And so, Lord God, we just pray in this coming year that you would help us to be people who are constantly just in the center of your will. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.